Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good morning, good morning. I'm so excited to be up here right now because there's a word that the Lord's given me and I'm shaking and I'm like, Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me to keep myself together. God is so good. So thankful for him. Well, good morning. My name is, obviously, I'm not Pastor John or Pastor Kaya. Um, But uh, I just want to say before I say anything else, I just want to say I'm thankful. Pastor John, Pastor Kaya, thank you for uh, who you are in my life. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for just the, the wonderful, beautiful journey that you guys are on, that we all get to be connected to, be a part of, and I love you guys. Um, amen. And I also want to say to my husband and my children, God bless you guys for this week with me preparing this message. <laughs> Thank you for your patience with me. I love you, Donald. I love you, Johnson crew. God's good. Amen. I just love worship. I could just sit and worship all day. All right. Well, I want to open up with 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 25. Um, I'm going to read uh, Spurgeon's verse exposition. There we go. So let me just tell you something really quick. Charles Spurgeon is known as the father of all preachers. And I have a hard time reading his stuff. My husband loves reading his stuff. And there's just so much big words. If, if there's more than seven letters in a word, I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing that word. So um, this exposition is so good, though. So bear with me, and hopefully I'll pronounce every word correctly. So it says, first of all, it's David's, uh, David's prayer of thanksgiving. David has come to the Lord, and he's, he's, he's offering a prayer of thanksgiving. And this is what Spurgeon's exposition says. God's promises were never meant to be thrown aside as waste paper. He intended that they should be used. God's gold is not miser's money, but is minted to be traded with. Nothing pleases our Lord better than to see his promises put in circulation. He loves to see his children bring to them, bring them up to him and say, Lord, do as thou hast said. We glorify God when we plead his promises Do you think that God will not be any poorer for giving you the riches he has promised? Do you dream that he will put any the less holy for any the less holy for giving holiness to you? Do you imagine he will be any the less pure for washing you from your sins? He has said, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Faith lays hold upon the promises of pardon, and it doesn't delay saying, this is a precious promise, I wonder if it be true. But it goes straight to the throne with it and pleads, Lord, here is the promise, do as thou hast said. Our Lord replies, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. When a Christian grabs a promise, if he doesn't take it to God, he dishonors him. 
But when he hastens to the throne of grace and he cries, Lord, I have nothing to recommend but this. Thou hast said, then his desire shall be granted. Our heavenly banker delights to cash his own notes. Nothing, never let the promise rest. Draw the sword of promise out of its scabbard and use it with holy violence. Think not that God will be troubled by your importunities, reminding him of the promises. He loves to hear the loud outcries of the needy souls. It is his delight to bestow favors. He is more ready to hear than you are to ask. The sun is not weary of shining, nor the fountain of flowing. It is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go at once to the throne with do as thou hast said. Amen. Amen. Lord, I have nothing to recommend me, but do as thou hast said. The Lord loves to hear our needy soul. We glorify God when we plead his promises. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Amen? God is so gracious towards us. He's so good to us. The fact that he would send his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins is more than enough, church. It's more than enough, and it's always been enough, and it's always going to be enough. If there's anything to go after, it's his mercy today. If there's anything that we would ask of the Lord, it's his mercy. God, have mercy on my soul. God, have mercy on our nation. God, have mercy on my family. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Last week, uh, Pastor John talked about how God is, it's happening. Judgment's already happening. It's happening to us corporately and it's happening to us individually. But if we don't have mercy, if we don't have mercy, listen, we're going to be judged harshly. It's really important that we remember what we've been saved from. It's really, it's really important that we remember that we have the grace of God on this earth. I know it looks bad, but let me tell you, it could get so much more worse. Because of God's presence resting on this earth, if God withdrew his presence, oh my God, all chaos would happen. You think it's chaotic now? You have no idea, baby, how chaotic it would get. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what that's saying. The posture of our heart is seen in our prayer life. Last Sunday, Pastor Kai gave a prophetic word. She said, if 2020 didn't develop a cry in you, then 2021 is gonna kick your butt. Cry out! Cry out. This morning, I want to blow the distress call to cry out. Let me tell you something that I've learned recently. I've learned, I thought that being an intercessor was a, a calling, like a, a position that you were asked to, to, uh, to step into when you served in church. I thought it was something that a person was called to do if they spoke eloquently or if, they, uh, if their words just happened to flow together really well. I thought, oh, that's an intercessor. Yeah, you're called to intercede because you're so poetic with your words. But God quickly got a hold of my attention and he said, don't covet that. 
Because that's not, it. That's not what qualifies you as an intercessor. Have you ever heard a child pray to Jesus? Have you ever heard a child say, Jesus, I love you? That's intercession. C.S. Lewis wrote, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Listen, what broke your heart and what was meant to take you out, God is saying, bring it to me and let me heal you. But you have to cry out. My prayer this morning is as David's was when he was repenting to the Lord in Psalms um, 50 something or other. And he was going to the Lord. It was after he had sinned and Nathan, the prophet Nathan came to him and called him out on his sin. And it was after he was with Bathsheba. And, and, and David was was uh, addressed with his sin. And when Nathan told him what the Lord came to tell him, right away, David's response was, um, Lord, I have sinned against thee. And he went into prayer. And the thing that he said, I don't know where it was, but it was further down in the prayer. He said, God, unseal my lips. And that's my prayer this morning for the church is God, unseal our lips. The enemy wants us to stay quiet. The enemy wants us to believe that we're not worthy. The enemy wants us to stop. He wants to stop our intercession. He wants to stop us from communicating the word of God. Why? Because there's power in God's word, not mine. There's power in God's word. So let me tell you something. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, then you're an intercessor. Then you've been called to prayer. Yeah, and it takes time to pray. I get it. I know. Get around intercessors. Get around brothers and sisters who love to pray and love to talk to the Lord. It's not hard. We were called to intercession. We all have our own expression, our own voice, and we give glory to God when we do it. But when I try to copy Pastor Donald or when I try to copy Pastor Kaya, I'm not giving glory to God. I'm taking it for myself. Our identity is in Christ. It's not in how well we perform. It's in Christ. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Listen, it takes humility to come before the Lord and say, God, I don't feel like praying. God, I'd rather wake up, drink some coffee, and just sit on the couch. God, I'd rather call a friend and we could talk about the word. You know, that, that counts. No, Jesus is saying, look, I want you. Just as we sing, I want you. Nothing else will do. I want you. That's what God is saying to us. I want you. It takes humility to come to the Lord and be honest. God is saying, give me truth. God is saying, tell me what's going on in your heart. Tell me how you're feeling, even if you feel stupid. Even if you feel like, man, I should, be, I should be past this. Man, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. What's going on? God says, bring that to me. I believe God is challenging us to examine how devastated we are for prayer. How devastated are we to pray? How high is the desperation meter of our hearts cry? God, spare us. God, help us. God, deliver us. Cry out. 
So I have a question this morning. How real is your prayer life? I've been raised in the church all my life, right? But I was raised in a home where um, my mom had just gotten saved before I was born, um, maybe two years before I was born, so like 70, 76, 77. And she, she gave her life to the Lord, and uh, she's been with the Lord ever since. But my dad, he wasn't saved. So I grew up in a home where there was two different mindsets. I grew up in a home where my father, he, he didn't know the Lord. And my mom would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and pray for his salvation. And so what that did to me is it caused me to learn how to pray. So every night, faithfully, she'd go in a room and she'd pray and she'd cry out. And most of the time it was in the spirit. And she would pray for my dad. She would pray for my brother. She'd pray for her family. And I remember sitting there and I would just listen to her and I would look at her and she'd be weeping. She'd be crying out. She'd be crying out with everything she had. She was so desperate for the Lord. And as I'm looking at her, I'm picking up on it. I'm catching it. That's why it's important to be around people of prayer, because you catch it. Prayer, you can't necessarily be taught. Be taught. You can't, prayer isn't something I can, I can actually teach you how to pray, because you have your own expression. You have your own, you're your own person. But you can catch it. You can be around people of warfare, and you can catch it. And that's what we need. That's what we're missing today in the church, where we want to feel the goosebumps. We want to fill all of that, but, it, but humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. But we want to skip all of that and say, God, heal our land. But we haven't cried for mercy. We haven't come to the altar. The altars are open every Sunday and Tuesday. We're sitting in our chairs. How dare us? How real is your prayer life? When we fill ourselves with whatever the source of our satisfaction is, we numb and silence our cry for salvation. You put off the new cry. You put off the new desperation. You put off the new hunger. That new appetite that you want, you're putting it off. We put it off every time we feel, we feel that, 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 that need, that source of our satisfaction with X, Y, and Z. There's a desperation that we all have right now. Every one of us in here has a cry. I don't care how good you look. I don't care how nice you talk. I don't care how your education, how, how educated you are. We all have a cry. We all have a cry. Psalms 51.10 says, this is David's prayer. David says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. But then he goes on and says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I'm sorry, before that, he says, cast me not away from your presence. Restore unto me, take, take me not away from your, sorry. Do not cast away from me your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David is recognizing here that God, I need your presence. God, don't withdraw from me. God, I need you. God, I can't live without you. I know I sinned, but I can't go on without you. So David is saying, God, wash me, cleanse me, make my heart pure. God, forgive me. 
the, the, the first point and question that I have is, are you in a real place of repentance this morning? This is for everybody in here. This is including me. Are you in a real place of repentance? Do you care more about what people think than what God thinks? See, when we read the Bible and we read about the Israelites making idols, it was gold and calves and all that, we think, how could they? But we'll come to church every Sunday and Tuesday and have these, these, these idols in our hearts of, I'm not going to go to the altar because of what I look like. Or I'm not going to cry out or I'm not going to go pray or join this ministry because, because of fear. And fear is an idol in our heart. It may not look like the golden calf, but that fear is an idol in your heart. And it doesn't matter how long we've been saved. And when we go before the throne of grace, God, when we, when we are present, when we come to the Lord, God's going to look at us and he's going to judge. He's going to judge us. And we can't say, well, I've been serving in your church for over 50 years. It's not a resume like now you can retire. No, it's not that kind of thing. See, we live with a heavenly perspective. We come from heaven. We're not of this world. We were never meant to mesh and blend with this world. But the enemy, he's so cunning. And he wants us to believe everything he has, the lies that he has. See, Eve, she drank the Kool-Aid. But can we be quick learners? Can we learn from that? Amen, I believe we can. It's God's invitation, it's God's invitation for salvation. It's our response for repentance and God's provision for deliverance. As a child of God, we are called to bear fruit. Can you say, I cry out? I cry out. I cry out. You have to cry out. You have to cry out. You have to stir your soul up and say, God, I'm desperate for you. If you wait for your flesh to initiate the process, dude, you're going to be waiting forever. I cry out. Matthew 3, 8 says, so produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behavior that proves a changed heart and a conscious, a conscious decision to turn away from sin. Listen, that's our part. That's our part. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, listen, this is saying, this is our part. You have a part that is going to be hard. We have a part that is not going to be easy. We're going to have to tear away, tear, tear away ourselves from some things that we love that are not good for us. And it's going to hurt. And so be it. So be it if it means that I'm going to let go of something that is false to come to truth and receive truth and walk in truth and live in truth. I cry out, hallelujah, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you're everything. I cry out. If there's no fruit, there's no repentance. Our need for salvation is an open door from the Lord. And each day it starts all over again. It's a daily confession of where my heart is and my complete, complete dependency upon him. Listen, that hard season wasn't meant to make you bitter. I know you've been hurt. We all have a, a, a story or two that we can tell that where we've been hurt, we've been devastated. Yeah, yeah, it hurt. I'm not making it light. It hurt. It sure did. But that season wasn't meant to make you bitter. 
It was meant to develop the cry for God the deliverer, God the redeemer, God the restorer, God the healer. Every time I'm hurt, I'm going to bring it to him. Every time I'm going to believe that God has something better. I'm not going to stay in this place and sulk and, and repeat how broken I am. Yeah, for a moment, hey, it's okay. Those are your feelings. Yes, feel the pain. Feel the pain. It's fine. You're, you may be fearful. God, listen, God's, we have feelings for a reason. They're not to rule us, though. Don't over-spiritualize it. Please don't, because God doesn't. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I'll never forget the way I felt coming home with, uh, with twins. Yes, Donald, I know you're included in this, but we're talking about me. I'll never forget how I felt when we brought home twins. Jericho was five pounds, six ounces, and Wisdom was two pounds, 10 ounces. And uh, it's funny because some of the people back in the day that know me, they'll say like, uh, you, you just wanted dogs. That's all you wanted. <laughs> you just wanted dogs. Because I would, I would say, yeah, I'm not ready for kids, not for a long time. Um, but I, I could have a couple of Rottweilers. <laughs> so having four little, little ones under the age of four was one of the hardest seasons to imagine We just recently uh, celebrated the twins' 15th birthday this past Wednesday. Woo, yes. Right, hallelujah, God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful. (laughs) God's faithful. And I shaved my legs this morning. God is faithful. That day comes. Can I just say, the day comes. You can shave your armpits and your legs, ladies, okay? That day will come. It's okay. So it was so hard to imagine the day, the, the day, that day, 15 years ago, it was, it was so hard to imagine where we, where we are today. We, could, we couldn't have. In fact, the day of their birthday, before they woke up, Don and I were talking about that. I'm like, man, Donald, God's been so faithful. We just sat there for a minute. We just sat there and we're like, he is so faithful. And then we got up and we went to the rooms. He went to the girls' rooms. I went to the boys' room. He sang happy birthday to the girls, woke them up. I sang happy birthday to the boys. Went and kissed them and all that. We did all that. And then we switched and he went. We tag team. He went to the other room. I went. We went and we hugged him. And they're just like, they got morning breath. And they're like, oh. But they're smiling. They're like. Here's something that I learned having, having, having babies. Something that I, I picked up on quickly. When a baby cries, it's because they're alerting you that there's something they're needing. Whether they're tired, hungry, or they need their diaper changed, that child of yours is letting you know that they need you. The other thing is maybe they just want you. I couldn't figure out, I'm like, your diaper's changed, I fed you, you just woke up, why won't you just sit there and just be there? And then I go to pick you up, and you're like, hey, party. I'm like, no, this is not what we're doing. I got stuff to do. So I pick them up, and I'm like, we're walking around. I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. I had not signed up for this. 
and I'm holding them and holding them, and they're fine, they're happy. They're completely pacified. Here's the thing, as moms, we quickly learn what kind of cry we're hearing. Maybe there just isn't anything wrong, and they just want to be with you. And that never goes away. I'm finding that the older I get, that never goes away. I just want to be with my mom. If you've ever been a fruitful source of nourishment to them, even as an adult, they'll still crave to be in your presence. And so they cry and cry and cry to be held, cuddled, and soothed in your presence. Where's your cry? Listen, we're talking about crying out. I'm crying out. My second point in question is, where's your cry for help? Listen, church, where's your cry for help? It gets tiring trying to hold up this facade. Let it come down today. First Peter 2, 2 through 3 says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full expression of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Listen, that's what babies do. There's this dependency for nourishment, so they cry out for this nourishment. They've had a taste of the mother's kindness and goodness in the womb. It's like babies know that if they cry, they grow. Your child has nowhere else to go but to you for this nourishment. They know you're the source, and there's more that you will produce as much as you, as they cry, you'll produce. And that's the same thing with our Lord. As much as we'll cry, the Lord will produce. As much as we'll cry, the Lord will produce. As much as we cry, as desperate as we are, the Lord will produce. Why? Because we're his children and we're meant to cry out. We were never meant to become adults and act like we have it all together. That's why the Lord says, look at the children. Look, pay attention to them. Look at how they do me. Psalms 38, 9 says, Lord, you know all my desires and deepest longings. My tears are liquid words, and you can read them all. God is saying, bring your tears to prayer. Bring your tears to prayer. They're valuable to the Lord, and your soul needs it. Your deep need You're saving the anguish in your soul. Bring it all to me and I will nourish, deliver, and save you. Cry out. I know it may sound like it's too much that I'm saying that, but I need you to get it this morning. We were meant to cry out to the Lord. We were meant to cry out to him. I know we have therapists and I know we have people that are professional that will help us work out what's navigating our heart and what's going on. Bless them. That's, That's a blessing. But let me tell you, don't replace them for Jesus. Don't replace your time in prayer with them for Jesus. Jesus can do more with you than a lifetime of sitting in front of somebody talking about how you're feeling. God is saying, bring your tears, bring that trauma, bring that breakup, bring that loss of that family member. It's not the end of your journey, baby. It's not the end. It's not the end. You still have purpose. 
You still have purpose. If you got a pulse, you got a purpose. If you got a pulse, you got a purpose. It's not the end of the story. The Lord says, cry out for eternal nourishment. So this morning, I hope you're getting the theme, cry out. I hope you're hearing that we were designed to cry out for this nourishment. We were never meant to give it to somebody else or something else or look to something else more than we do the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prayer is rewarding and fruitful, not because I get every prayer answered, but because I get to experience his presence every time I seek him. Every time prayer is rewarding and fruitful. Hold that, hold that thought, that I, hold that, those words when I just said them. Prayers are rewarding and fruitful. Even if you don't, here's the thing. Jesus, even if you don't deliver me, even if you don't save me from this situation, even if you don't remove me from this anguish, your presence will always be enough. Your presence will always be enough. Kind of sounds like what Jesus did when he cried out to the Father. You know, Jesus prayed that, right? He says, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew God was a source of his desperation. So he brought his anguish and, his, and he cried out to the Father. But his resolve was, Lord, your will. Lord, your way. Isaiah 56, 7 says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Hallelujah. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the church doors are still open. The church doors are still open every Sunday, every Tuesday, and the altar is open. So if you're lacking in joy, hey, I'm just saying, if you're lacking in joy, the altar's here. The Lord says, I will make them joyful in my house, in my house of prayer. If you're lacking joy, then baby, come to the altar. Bring it to the Lord. There's this stigma that prayer is boring and disappointing. And God wants to free us from that today. Prayer is not boring. And it sure isn't disappointing. But I get it. I do get it. Because when you pray year after year after year, and it turns into a decade or two or three, and you're praying for maybe your sick child, or you're praying for your husband who's, who's not saved. I get it. So there's a stigma, and God is saying, disassociate yourself from the word failure with prayer. Disassociate failure from the word prayer. No matter how you feel when you pray, it won't change the power of God in that prayer. The power of God has nothing to do with how I feel. I am not, it's not contingent on my good days or not so good days. It's not even about how good I've been before I talk to God. Some of us need to hear that, that have been really churched. It's not even about how good I've been before I come to the Lord. God's power has nothing to do with how I'm feeling or my mood. Faith is not a feeling. 
It's assurance in the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that the Spirit will intercede for us with groanings that word cannot express. The more I let, listen, listen to this, the more I let the Holy Spirit into my prayer life, the more unpolished my prayers become. Come on, catch that. The more unpolished, the more I let the Holy Spirit into my prayer life, the more unpolished my prayers become. See, God doesn't care about how fancy you are. I know, you, I know we do sometimes. But God wants the pain. God wants the anguish. God wants the desperation. That's what he wants. You know why? Because he can do something better. He can do something better. God's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He's been tested. God has built a history with his people. Amen? He's built a history with his people. That he's trustworthy. So if you'll just take some time to just come before him and say, God, I know you're trustworthy right now. I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, but God, I need you. If you don't know what to pray, then pray a verse. Grab a verse. Grab a verse. Get a journal. Write down all the verses that minister to you. I mean, shoot, you come to church every Sunday and Tuesday. There's verses constantly be given out. Write those verses down. They're not just for us to clap and say, good word, good word. No, those, wor- those verses are promises that save us. Those words are verse- those, those promises are verses that we live in. God is real. Come on, church. We're not going to be dull in our living for the Lord. We're not going to be f- so familiar with his presence that we don't even reverence him. The fact that we're in this church right now, in his church, and we're able to be in a sanctuary together and worship and whereas other countries can't. Come on, man. Come on. Cry out. Cry out. Listen, bring your apathy. I had a lot of that. Bring your apathy. Bring your indifference. Bring it all and cry out. There's nothing pretty about the altar. There's nothing pretty about the altar. The altar stinks. The altar is dirty. I mean, if you really think back, you know, Pastor um, has preached before. Don't know when, but if you go back and you look, um, we have podcasts and stuff, but he's preached about the altar. He's pre- preached about the tabernacle and he's, he's taught about what it was for and how to approach it and what it looked like and how they sacrificed animals and just different stuff. He goes really deep into it. And, and the first thought I had was, man, the altar was so dirty. The altar was so dirty. It's where the dead comes back to living. God, I don't know where to go. I have nothing else. My back is against the wall. I'm bringing my broken spirit. Cry out. Genesis 3, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole Genesis 3, but just kind of touch about, touch on it a little bit, but Genesis 3 is where Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they blew it all for us, right? Just, yeah, it's all, they messed, they messed us up. They done messed us up, and now we're here suffering. No, I'm just kidding. But we're, so Adam and Eve sinned, and they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Everybody, everybody can remember that. 
And we hear how um, God had given them specific directions and told them, hey, you could have everything here except for this, except for this tree. And um, next thing you know, the serpent comes to Eve. He listens, she, Eve listens to him. And then Adam, and then Eve takes the, the apple. And then Adam takes it. And then God comes through the garden. He comes through the garden. And here's the thing. This is what we pull away from that chapter. What we lost because of sin. And we no longer have our place in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.9 says, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? My third point in question is, Where are you? Where are you? Where are you today? It's a good question. We discuss all the time about how we lost perfection and God's punishment. And we talk about what man lost in Eden. But we never talk or think about what God lost. He says, I've lost friendship. Where are you, Adam? Can you hear that cry? Where are you? Can you shift your perspective for a moment and discern God's cry for Adam? It's not like an irritated parent looking for an errant child or a reckless child. Instead, can you hear a cry of anguish as God realizes that he has lost his friendship and what it's going to take to restore it? Where are you? We'll come to Jesus for our finances, our health, our marriages, our singleness, our children, you name it, right? We'll come to Jesus. And listen, God loves that we ask him. He, in fact, he tells us, ask of me. He says, bring your cares to me. You're not a nuisance to me. I want to hear your voice. Asking is part of our relationship. So can I just ask you, how's your relationship going this morning? How's your friendship with God doing? Can, I, can we just ask? Can we just sit there for a minute? How's your relationship with God doing this morning? How's your friendship going? Have you ever asked what he loves? Have you ever been a good friend and written down his life? I have this friend. Her name is Liz. And one day we were together and Liz starts to ask me questions about my life. Hey, when's your birthday? Hey, what's your favorite color? Hey, when did you and Donald get married? Um, what, what's your favorite restaurant? Where, where would you like to go one day? What's your favorite vacation place? So she's asking me all these questions. And I'm looking at her. I'm a little, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And I admire, I admire her because she's taking our relationship so seriously. When she chooses you as a friend, watch out, because if it's in her ability, all your dreams and visions will come true. She has this binder of likes and dislikes of um, favorite foods, restaurants, dream vacations, when it's your birthday, and so on and so on. And then if you're married, she's going to ask your husband the same questions. What a wonderful example of friendship. What a wonderful example of friendship. What broke your heart and was meant to take you out, God says, bring it to me and I have something better. It won't be like anything you can compare to. 
I nourish your soul. I restore your soul. I heal your soul. You were meant to be tethered to me every day that you walk on this earth. Remember, our real home is, is with him in heaven, right? We're just passing through. But you have to cry out. <laughs> you have to cry out. You have to want Jesus. You have to want the Lord more, more than anything. And see, the thing about it is it's not an emotion that I'm waiting for and then I come to the Lord. That's not humbling. I'm not, I'm not waiting for my emotions to beckon me. No, I'm, I know the truth. His name is Jesus and I'm gonna obey his word because I know him. Those that know the Lord obey him. Those that know him know his precepts. I believe it says that it was good for me to suffer because had it not been, I would have never learned your statutes. It was good for me to, to, to be in anguish because if it wasn't, I would have never learned your way. Hallelujah. God's developing a cry, church. I hope we're getting this this morning. God is developing a cry. God wants your cry. He's always listening. But are you listening this morning? God, I'm coming close. Lord, I have nothing to recommend me but this. Do as thou hast said. Will you cry out for your friendship? As I close. Listen. I know it sounds like this may be a little bit of a hard message to hear this Sunday, but God is so desperate for you. God went through so much to be in relationship with us. And we can live in victory, even in pain. Can, can, can you hear that? We can live in victory even with pain. Just because you become a child of God doesn't mean that you're exempt from suffering. No, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed into his image. Hallelujah. You can, you can praise the Lord for that. How many times did Jesus come and suffer with us? Jesus, I'm hurting. Jesus, I'm broken. Jesus, I need you. And he comes. But how many times do we go to him and say, Jesus, I want to fellowship with your sufferings. I want to fellowship with you. There's nothing else that I want more than you. Nothing else. Nothing else will do, Jesus. God, if you don't save me, I'm going to lose my mind. If you don't save me, I'm going to walk out. I can't. I can't. I just can't. And that's okay because God's power is so much more greater than how you're feeling. I always say this, how I'm feeling is not how I'm doing. And how I'm doing is not how I'm feeling. God's way is perfect, church. And this morning, he wants us to get this message. Cry out. Cry out to him. Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy? Isn't he faithful? Isn't it, hasn't he been good? Are you not breathing this morning? Are you not sitting here next to your loved ones, your friends? Do you not have a church that is open? Come on, church. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to be thankful for. Do you not have people that are interceding for your life? If you don't know that, let me tell you right now, you have people that are praying for you. 
You've had people praying for you and you didn't even know it. These people are praying that you would live for the Lord. These people are praying that you would bear fruit. These people are praying that you would be free from sin. People have cried out on your behalf, church. Pray with me this morning. If you could stand to your feet as we close. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We come to you right now, God. And we ask you, Lord, if you've never, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, right now is the time to do that. If you'll just pray while I pray. Jesus, we ask you to just come into our heart, Lord. We ask you, God, to meet us here right now where we are, Jesus. We ask, God, that you would forgive us of our sins, Father. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us, God. Purify us, God. God, we need you this morning. God, there's something between us, God, and God, we need you this morning. God, I'm crying out to you. God, save me this morning. Father, I thank you for your message this morning. I thank you for the invitation, God, of crying out. I thank you, Lord, for the invitation of, of, of drawing near to you, coming close this morning, God. Father, we thank you for your presence because in your presence is fullness of joy. We thank you, Lord God, that mercy and goodness follow us all the days of our life, God. We thank you that with you we have a future and a hope, God. We thank you, Lord God, that our past doesn't, um, doesn't have a, a hold on us, God. But Lord, we thank you that you're doing a new thing in us, God. And Lord, we say yes to the new thing. We say yes to your way. We say yes to your call. God, we're, we are responding to this call this morning. And we're saying, God, we're hungry for you. God, create a holy appetite in us. God, strip us from things that have held us in, in, in bondage. Strip us from things, God, that we've agreed with that was never your way for us. God, change our hearts. God, we want to bear fruit. The world needs to see our fruit. The world needs to see our fruit, our love for one another. Then they will know that we're yours. So Lord, we pray that we love one another like you love us. The same fight that you had on your way to Calvary for us, God, I pray that we turn and we have for the cross. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Jesus, we love you this morning. We love you and we appreciate you. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.